0: How's it going, church? (laughs) It's good to see everybody. Uh, I'm I'm just really excited to be here uh, with you. I just want to start off thanking Trent and uh, his wife and all of the leaders here for having me. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, As he mentioned, um, you know, I am the better looking of the two of us. uh, You know, but (laughs) no. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I gotta behave, gotta behave. Um, but uh he's definitely looking good. He's really been, you know, in the gym and I'm trying to keep up with him. That's why I wore my little shirt that's kind of like trying to reveal something. So uh as I <laughs> as I make my points, I'm gonna try to do this here, kind of do this here a little bit, you know. Somebody get a picture while I am while I'm holding my stomach in, you know, holding my breath. So uh <laughs> but uh I look I look I'm I'm really 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 seriously excited and happy to be here. Uh, I just got just a great warm welcome when I came in. In fact, I got a I got a message uh, on Facebook, social media. I don't know if you guys saw it already, but I know I saw one gentleman uh, walking around with a Georgia shirt, and uh, there he is in the front. Uh, just, Lord forgive him for what he he does not know what he's doing. Uh, forgive. <laughs> Um, But so a little bit about me, I'm I'm like a 747, I'm like a Boeing 747, so it's going to take me a little bit to kind of get off the ground, but once I do, I get really, really high in elevation, Uh, but then it takes me a long time to come back down, so uh, feel free to just say, okay, that's enough, we got it, you know, that's good, bring it back around, that type of deal, it's okay, I won't take it personal. Um, But yeah, so my wife and I, we actually celebrated last month 11 years being married. Let's go, 11 years being married. Uh, 12 years together, and uh, I know they're watching online. Uh, babe, Kaylin, Kaysen, Journey, England, Yuri, Daddy, love y'all. Hey. Uh, <laughs> uh, Daddy will be back home soon, but uh, I'm going to make sure I try to stay as elevated as I can because I do want to spend more time with you guys, but I know they'll be ready for Daddy when he gets in the door. I can't even get in the door without all four of them. My 8 year old she doesn't do it, but all four of them right there with me. But uh, so I do wear a couple of hats. I do serve on the executive team at a church, New Mercy's Christian church located in Lilburn, Georgia. And uh, I also, uh, my wife and I, we also have a consulting firm. We do leadership development uh, with that. That's uh, in the marketplace, marketplace ministry churches, that, to- that type of deal. Um, and then we also have, this is going to be the best part of it. We also have a youth football and cheer organization. And uh, guess what the name is? I'm going to see if anybody knows. Y'all won't know. It's called Atlanta Crimson Tied. Let's go. Any? <laughs> no, just, uh, <laughs> all right, no point of preaching now. It's just like everybody turned off, nobody's listening. All right, but uh, see, excited. We'll work with kids uh, in the Marietta area, and uh, just what God has been able to do uh, even through the time that we have with those kids, uh, using football as a means of connection, as a common ground, uh, it's just been amazing just to see what God does. Uh, I believe God works within the church, as well, for walls of the church, as well as outside of the church. So we have to see the gospel being presented in various ways because there are so many people, kids, every age, every generation needs to be reached. So we're really excited about that. Um, I'm really excited to join you in this teaching series that you all have been in uh, as it relates to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. If you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, we're also going to put it on the screen. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 20. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. I hear some pages turning, so some of you have old technology, which is the paper Bible. Some of you may be more modern, and you may have your cell phone, so you can flip there, touch there, whatever that you do, you do to get there. Um, we're also gonna put it on the screen. Matthew chapter five, starting at verse 17, and we're gonna go 17 through 20. It says this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Father, we thank you for this moment. God, I just pray you use me for your glory. God, use my personality. Father, use all of the quirks and whatever it is that I bring to the table, God, just speak through me. Empty me. Father, for your glory. Father, I pray for those that are listening, both here and online. God, I pray that your word penetrates their heart. Let it go down to the deepest part of their being. And not let them, Father, be just hearers of your word, but also doers. That they may receive a harvest 30, 60, 100 fold. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say amen. amen. All right, so a few things I want to share with you as I kind of set up a backdrop for our talk this morning as it relates to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I, I really don't know how uh, Pastor Trent feels about me, but um, I have been given probably one of the least preached passages of Scripture uh, that I know uh, so I'm going to just struggle through this thing. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> I don't hear this, this passage preached a lot, but um, there's some things I want to share with you as it relates to how Matthew wrote this passage. So Matthew, as we know, he's the writer of this passage. And uh, scholars generally agree that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is not just one sermon that was preached by Jesus, but it is a, a collection of sayings that Matthew had collated or, or put together from different sources, Mark, Luke, uh, different sources that he has, and he put these sayings of Jesus together to sort of present an a ethics or a, a framework or some sort of um, um, a way of living for disciples as well as non disciples. Because we'll see in this text, The audience is not just believers, but it started with disciples, but there were other people that were a part of the crowd. So Jesus wasn't just talking to disciples. He was also talking to individuals that were not disciples. So that helps us get a grasp on why Jesus would make certain statements that he made that seems a little contradictory, okay? And we're going to look at this in a second. So let's just start to walk through this. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 17, he says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, notice the words in this text, abolish and fulfill. Abolishing has something to do with getting rid of something. Okay. To fulfill has something to do with completing or affirming something. So Jesus is not merely keeping the law. That's not what he says. He's not saying that I'm keeping the law or I'm intensifying the law. He says, I have come to fulfill the law, which presupposes progress in time. Now, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a musician And uh, I I love music. I just, I love music. I grew up in a very traditional church. And uh, when I say traditional, I mean like traditional. That means the women wear all white, sit on that side. The men wear all black, sit on that side. When we have communion, the men will come up, the deacons will come up, and they will have the white gloves because you dare not touch communion without your white gloves. Anybody know that type of church? All right, okay, all right. <laughs> so very traditional church. And I was a musician. I played the drums. I played the keyboard. I eventually started leading worship. But music always had, had a, a, a big impact in my life. And the reason it is is because, for me, music has a way of removing me from the present. When I hear music, it, it, can, it can take me from the present. It can take me to the past or it can take me to the future. It can help me think about the things that I want. It can help me also think about the things that I shouldn't have, okay? Music has just that impact. And the reason it has that impact, and I don't know all the theory behind this because uh, I'm, like you know, I'm not like a composer or anything, but just I just play by ear. So I can't read music at all, okay? So if you put a book, a, a, a hymn book or anything in front of me, a sheet of music, it is Portuguese. I cannot read it at all, okay? Uh, but the way music works in my mind, is that it operates on progressions. I have a favorite progression. It's four, five, and six, okay? Four, five, and six. It can go with, in my mind, it can go with any song. Any song you sing, I can put four, five, and six with it, okay? But it's, the progression is made up of chords, you can have many chords, you can have a few chords, but it's more than one, okay? It's made up of chords, but the chords are made up of notes. So, for example, if I'm in, what is it, C? Again, I don't, I don't know, so y'all can help me with this. Y'all can talk back if I'm wrong, right? If it's C, you got play F, play A, and play C. I think that's it, okay, right? I, somebody nod their head. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. All right? So you start, with that's the four, and then you move up to the five. And you move up to the six. It's so good. I mean, if I'm preaching and I like really get into it, like get somebody behind me and play four, five, and six. So good. But here's, here's, here's what I'm getting at. It's the one note that has to be made up of a chord, but that chord does nothing by itself if it's not progressing. If that four is not progressing to the six, if you just stay on the four, that's dead to me. I need it to move to the six. What makes this powerful is that once it moves to the sixth, that's when the beauty and the harmony and all those things come together. This is a good framework of how you should look at the law in the Old Testament. The law of the Old Testament is a compilation, it's, 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 it's many laws. I mean, it's 300, maybe 400, maybe 500. It just goes on. It's a lot of laws. You have moral laws, you have your ceremonial laws, you have your judicial or your civil laws, okay? There are many different laws within the Old Testament. And what God decided to do, God would give a specific law with a specific detail about a specific thing. In my mind, that's a note, As he adds to them, that's another note. As he adds to it, it's another note. So you have the Ten Commandments. You have the Levitical law. You got the law of Deuteronomy. You got all these different laws. And all these laws come together to, in my mind, to make up a chord. As it makes up that chord, again, the law just sitting where it is, being static, does nothing. But if the law... Oh, man, this is going to get good. If the law can progress through time because as the children of Israel, they were living. This is a historical account. The children of Israel, as they were living, they, were, they these were years and years and years, centuries coming up to the New Testament. So as they're living and they're walking with God, they go through good times, they go through bad times. They go through good times, they go through bad times. They're obedient, then they're disobedient. They're obedient, then they're disobedient. Doesn't that look like music? They're obedient, then they're disobedient. They're obedient, then they're disobedient. It was all throughout the Old Testament. And if you think of this in this regard, if you look at it through this type of lens, what happens is is as they're progressing through time, Lord, I'm trying to stay calm, as they're progressing through time, they're progressing and they're progressing. And the point of the Old Testament laws was not for them to just think about where they were. It was pointing them to where they were going. It was pointing to a person and that law is fulfilled in the person of Jesus. So now you got every chord that's playing and when you get to Jesus, it's a beautiful symphony. It's a beautiful symphony. So I got one main point point. and here's my main point. Christ is the fulfillment of the law And the focus of our loving obedience. Christ is the fulfillment of the law, and he's the focus of our loving obedience. Now, I have two sub points. I'm going to try to unpack this. Now, I told you I'm probably at like 5,000 feet right now, okay? So y'all just ride with me. We may not go too far up. I know Delta likes to go way up, like 40,000. I don't like flying, by the way. Delta likes to go way up, right? And I'm just like, how high do we have to go? Can we not just go a little bit lower? So we're going to be Southwest Airline this morning, all right? So we'll, we'll fly just right enough, you know, so if something goes wrong, I can just land the plane. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's just my way of, you know, that's my personality. Here we go. All right, so, so Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Now, when the Scripture uses in in verse 17, when it uses the term abolish and fulfill, Jesus is not merely keeping the law, as I mentioned, right? He's not just trying to—he keeps the law, but he's not placing all of the focus on the law. He wants the focus to be on himself. And here's what D.A. Carson said. This is a quote that I love, and this is the second service, so you guys should be able to mentally catch this, okay? It's a little later, all right. Are y'all awake? Everybody's good? Okay, here's what D.A. Carson says. To fulfill means to be that which the other party pointed. In other words, if Jesus fulfills X, it's because X pointed to Jesus. And now along this temporal axis, the axis of time, in the fullness of time, Jesus serves as that to which X pointed. Did y'all catch that? Y'all are good. This is a, good, this is a sharp crown, right? Good. To fulfill, he says, is to be that which the other party pointed, right? In other words, if Jesus fulfills X, X is the law, it's because the law pointed to Jesus. And now along this temporal axis, This axis of time, in the fullness of time, have we heard that before? In the fullness of time, Jesus serves as that to which the law pointed. So, keeping, he says, or intensifying is atemporal, it's abstract categories. The Old Testament law is fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. So, the Old Testament law, its stories, its history its rules all those things that you see take place the poetry the songs it all points to christ let's look at verse 18 let's keep going for truly i tell you says until heaven and earth disappear not the smallest letter not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished therefore Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom. Didn't say they will be called unsaved. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom. So while it may be easy to conclude, and if you just look at this now, because remember, this is just a passage and this small passage is a part of a larger passage. So one of the things that I want to encourage you not to do is to build a theology or to build a religion or to build a set of practices or to build a belief system off of a few passages. That's dangerous to do. Because oftentimes the church has gone through splits and division and, 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 and issues because there are individuals that will go to this passage, they will skip every other passage and they want to start right at 19. They want to go, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do accordingly will be called least of the kingdom of heaven. And they will conclude that we're supposed to follow the Old Testament law in order to be saved. Here's what Galatians chapter five, verses one, it's not gonna be on the screen, but if you can write this down, Galatians chapter five, verses one through six, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, this is dealing with some tenets of the law, Christ will be of no value to you at all again i declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law so if you want to obey the, the law you have to obey the whole law you can't just pick and choose it's not a buffet line you can't just say i just want the chicken but i don't want the vegetables it doesn't work that way if you want to obey the old The the law, you have to obey the whole law. He says, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness from which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So it's not the Old Testament law, the obedience to Old Testament law that earns your salvation. Do you know that you are saved by grace through faith? Let me say it another way. Do you know that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? There's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. You may not even be thinking about trying to follow the Old Testament law. Maybe there are things that you think even in modern times, I need to. I don't go to church enough. I don't feel worthy enough. I don't feel like I do enough. I don't feel like I forgive enough. I don't feel like I'm, I'm nice enough to other people. I've done so many things in my life. How could God accept me? Do you not know the things that I've done in my past? God says, yes, I know what you've done in your past. I know what you're doing in your present. I know what you would do in your future. I don't look at those things. I don't look at your righteousness because they're as filthy rags. I look at my righteousness through what my son has done on your behalf. It's not about you. That's what this text is saying. It's not about us. It's not about, we can't look at this text and start to immediately think about us. We should look at this text and immediately allow it to point us to Christ. Why? Because that's the purpose of the law. The purpose of the Old Testament law was to show the children of Israel that they were far from God, that they could not live up to the law. It was a temporary fix, but it pointed to an eternal reward. Let's keep going. It says... Verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So the question is, is what is the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes or the teachers of the law? Well, what is their righteousness? That's, that's a good question, right? Because if if, if, if Paul is saying that Unless our righteousness does not surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say be great or least. You won't enter unless your righteousness exceeds that of theirs. So let's look at what their righteousness was. The scribes and the Pharisees' righteousness was an outward obedience without an inward allegiance and outward obedience without an inward allegiance. So they knew the law and the rules and the tradition, but they didn't personally know and love Christ. Does that sound familiar? This is what happens. This is where pride comes in, where I try to earn it for myself. I try to stay away from the community of the church. I isolate myself. And I go off and try to do things on my own. And the more you do that, the more you isolate yourself, the more you build walls up. Nobody can feed you and you can't feed yourself. You isolate yourself from the living water. And this is what Christ is trying to give us, that living water. It's the truth of the gospel, the good news. So they knew the laws and the rules and the traditions, but they didn't personally know Christ, love Christ. This is what you call mere behaviorism. This is what happens. Let me help bring it home. This is what happens when instead of crying out to God because of our sinfulness and our brokenness, instead of running after him, instead of surrendering to him, You try to find other ways that will alleviate the feelings of guilt and shame. So you may turn to the bottle to alleviate the feelings of guilt and shame. You run after relationship and relationship and relationship and relationship. Trying to alleviate and fill that void that only God can fill. You may play sports. You may work for hours and hours, 60 hours a week, 80 hours a week. And we can justify it and say, I need to provide for the family. Sure you do. But what else is under the rug? There's more to it. There's more to it. So this is what, this is what happens, behaviorism. And then we, this, is what, this is what we often like to do. We know something else or something is wrong, so we want to go to a counselor. That counselor is not going to tell us anything but to change your behavior. You say, well, at least I don't do that no more. Now I just do this. You say, well, I don't do this anymore. Now I just do that. And you just change, change. You're changing your, you're changing your posture, but you're not changing your position. So you can change your posture in a lot of different ways. My wife and I, we just went and got, uh, not too long ago, for my first time, my first time, I got adjusted uh, with a chiropractic. Oh, my Lord. She talked me into it, and uh, I'm just, I was just like, okay, babe, I love you. I'm going because I love you, and uh, I don't know what this is going to feel like. And so I got on the table, and uh, you know how they 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 talk you into it, especially if it's your first time, you kind of lay there, and shes it's a, it's a little weird table that, like, she put the pressure on you, and the table falls too. I don't get it, but anyway, so the table fall, I fall at the same time. I don't know if the table cracked or I cracked. Something cracked. So, so she's doing all the numbers and the boom and all this stuff, and she come and she's she's at my neck and she turn. First of all, she turned my neck, right? So I'm thinking I was done. No, she hadn't popped my neck yet. So she turned my neck, and so I'm like this, and she just boop, and she cracked my neck, right? All this was adjusting. But what happens if I keep getting adjusted, but I never change my position on how I eat? Uh-oh. You could get well adjusted, but if we don't change our dietary intake, it doesn't matter how well adjusted you are because you could be you could be upright and adjusted, but you got diabetes. I'm just, can I be at home today? This is the same thing when it comes to Christianity. We do all of these things to try to get adjusted. We try to do this and read self-help books and listen to this person, listen to that, listen to this podcast, work more hours. We go this, we go to the bar, we go to the pub, we go for relationship relationship. All that does is make adjustments, but it doesn't change your position. God is saying, I want to change your position. If you just look at me and help and, and, and take in my love that I have for you, look at what I have done for you. I love you, I care for you, I died for you, I suffered for you. I did this not because you're good, I did this because I am good. And when you look at that and you see what he's done for you and you keep meditating on that. Scripture says we don't first love him. He first loved us. While you were yet in sin, Jesus died on your behalf. So as you're looking and you accept his love for you, Accept his love for you. That's what somebody needs to hear. Jesus loves you. Let the Holy Spirit work there. Jesus loves you. That changes everything. Let that change everything. You know why? Because if Jesus loves me, that means that I don't have to. I don't have to try to earn anybody else's love. I don't have to try to work for anybody else's approval. I don't have to go into the church and put on a mask and look down or look left. When somebody says, how are you doing? I'm fine, doing well. You know, you can't look anybody out of the eye because you feel guilty of your sin. You don't have to do that anymore. Why? Because you have someone who has died on your behalf, who loves you, who cares for you, who accepts you. He looks at you and says, you are my own. I am your father. You are my beloved daughter. Because when you don't accept God's love, this is what happens. You can't accept the love from others. So that wife that's trying to help you, husband, in the situations that you're in, she's trying to help you heal from what you have gone through. You turn her into the enemy and you shut her off. And she's doing the best she can. She's not perfect in it, but she's doing the best she can. Everything she tells you, you think it's a, it's a jab. You think it's a stab. You think she's talking down on you. She don't love you. You hear one. Let me tell you this real quick, and I, I gotta get out of here. Let me tell you one. I know it's not marriage counseling, but hey, let the Holy Spirit lead, right? So, she says one thing to you, and you go to the extreme. All she told you is why you don't dump the trash. And you're just like, oh, you don't love me no more. Now we ain't going to be together no more. Oh, you want to be with somebody else? <laughs> <laughs> I got to go. I got to go, y'all. <laughs> I got to go. I, I, I haven't even gotten through the whole text, y'all. I'm, not, I'm out of time. I think I'm out of time. So, look, the, the, my second point was this. The main point was that Christ is the fulfillment of the law. And the focus of our loving obedience. Y'all heard my first sub point. The second sub point is that the Old Testament stories and its prophets. Oh no, no, that's not it. Let me say here it is: our obedience to God flows out of our knowledge and love toward the Person of Christ, because of who He is and what He's done on our behalf. That's when your obedience flows. So I'm not sitting here saying that you should not follow or be obedient to Christ. I'm not saying that. If you decide that you want to just follow the rules of the Old Testament, Hey, have at it. What I'm trying to help you see is to realize and understand what is the motivation behind it. If you're doing it, to try to earn salvation. It won't work because you can't fully live up perfectly the tenets of the Old Testament law. That's a lot of laws. You cannot do it. So why not just lean into the one who did do it on your behalf? And what happens is when you lean into him, he'll help you with your posture. He'll change your position. You just lean into, look, God, you know I'm not perfect. I'm doing the best I can. So I'm not going to just turn to all of these laws to be transforming, to transform my life. I'm just going to look at you. I'm just going to look at your sacrifice. I'm going to look at what you have done. And as I study that, my knowledge begins to grow in you. And as I study that, my love begins to grow. And then now your kingdom is being expanded in me. And as it's being expanded in me, it's now being advanced through me. Now you can forgive that person that is hard to forgive, why because you have accepted the forgiveness that he's given you. We'll close with this and i'm 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 done y'all i you know I'm done um this was This was life transforming for me. There was a little bit of my story. Um, I was born in Sacramento, California, and there were some things that I didn't know about my past. And it got to about 2016, where I first found out the real things that took place in my life. And I found out through going to UC Davis Hospital. And when I went to UC Davis Hospital, I asked for the records because I wanted to know about me. I at least wanted to, give some, to get some kind of historical background, right, about myself. And they told me that they don't have anything. If they do have anything, then they will send it to me. But they usually throw away records after maybe 18 years or so. But come to find out, long story short, we were pastoring a church in Tacoma, Washington, and we got a letter in the mail. And there's a packet about this big about this thick and the packet was full of police reports. Come to find out, it was three of us, my brother, my sister and I, I was the baby. Come to find out, I was, through the police report, I was abandoned in a abandoned apartment. The police found me on the floor in this apartment and there was noticeable signs that I hadn't eaten in days. Maybe a week or so. Talk about abandonment. So we were sent to foster care. And they called everybody in our family. They called everybody to find out who would take us in. Who's going to take in three kids? I wasn't even one yet. My brother was just three. Who's going to take us in? Called everybody. And only my grandmother and my grandfather took us in. My grandparents, they did their best to raise us. Parents came back, took us, was struggling with substance abuse, sent us back, came, took us again, sent us back, came, took us again, sent us back. Talk about abandonment. Talk about instability. Talk about anger. I saw all those things throughout my life. So all those things took place and I could not, I did not know how to accept the love that my wife was giving me. She loved me. She did everything she could. I couldn't even accept preaching. I didn't want to hear anything because I felt that I couldn't trust anybody. Didn't want to be a part of a church because I felt like everybody was looking and laughing. They would just tell my business. Can I be honest? Can I be transparent? My grandmother, She passed 2019, stage four pancreatic cancer. I was passing the church and flew down. Within one week, I saw her go from one state to another state. Within one week, she was gone. After her diagnosis, I'm saying all that to say, and this isn't even half of a story. But I'm saying all that to say, what changed. The moment that transformation took place in my life was when I looked at the true, beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. When I accepted his love and I knew that he did everything that was needed to be done for me to feel accepted. When I knew that he did everything that needed to be done to feel loved, to feel forgiven. This is the gospel. This is what's being offered to you if you're not a believer. And if you are a believer, this is what's being continually offered to you because the gospel doesn't change. It doesn't go to another level. It's the same gospel that will save you. It's the same gospel that will sanctify you and get you to the next level, to the next level, from glory to glory to glory to glory, becoming more and more like the image of Christ. It's the gospel. Sir, it's the gospel. It's not politics. It's the gospel, man. It's not your favorite ball club. It's the gospel. It's not social media. It's the gospel. The true, beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me recap and then I'm done. My main point was that Christ is the fulfillment of the law and the focus of our loving obedience. In the Old Testament, its stories, its psalms, its genealogies, its history, including its laws, all point to and are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In our response, our obedience to God, it flows out of our knowledge and love toward the person, the work of Jesus Christ and him alone. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are as it's revealed in scripture. God, I pray, Father, that you help us not create an avatar of who we want you to be, who we think you are, Who do you say I am? You are the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. Father, I pray, God, that your word touches the heart of your people. God, I pray that you do something. Change what needs to be changed. Correct what needs to be corrected, Father. Encourage where encouragement is needed, Father. God, bring the light of who you are, Father, into the dark places of depression worry, and anxiety. We love you. But, Father, don't let us just love you with our words. Let us love you with our life. It's in Jesus' mighty, matchless name we pray. Somebody say amen. Amen. Come on, let's just give God praise. Come on, can you just celebrate Jesus?